welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. I'm going to do the Bible reading this morning. So uh, for anyone who's visiting or forgot their Bible this morning, we do have Bibles in the aisle. Uh, If you don't have one, that's yours to take home today um, as well. So let's turn now to Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be uh, to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried into uh, to town to a town in the hill of the country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be I will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds in His arms, with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home.
beautiful was that? Amazing voices and um, we really appreciate Emma Virginia spending the time to rehearse that and to get it right and, and also Paul, you know, I think we take for granted sometimes the guitaring expertise but just incredible mate, so thank you very much. It's a beautiful song and I love it and uh, it's a really appropriate song today obviously because we're talking about Mary and it's kind of hard to believe that it's December again, isn't it? It seems like it was December, you know, last week, and now it's Christmas again. Um, it seems to go really quick. They say the older you get, uh, the quicker it goes. And so it's been really quick for me this year because I'm getting older, heading towards 40, so I can only imagine what it is for some of the others out there today. But the years just seem to fly by. Yeah, someone's got the violin out for me. Really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, life goes really quick. And sometimes that's good when you're going through a difficult season, and although difficult seasons seem to go a lot slower, but sometimes life going so fast is not so good because we don't actually spend the time to stop and reflect on those occasions that are really important. And I think Christmas is one of those. And I guess one of my fears is that Christmas is one of those seasons that comes and goes and comes around again and goes again so quickly that we often just don't stop and reflect on it. And so we, um, 
Sometimes find ourselves with a real sense of familiarity around Christmas. You know, yeah, the virgin birth and the gold and frankincense and myrrh and the angels and the shepherds and Jesus was born here. Yeah. We know all that sort of stuff, but we've got other things to do. You know, we've got Christmas lunch to get ready and we've got presents to buy and we've got relatives to endure and all those things. And so we end up just sort of skipping through Christmas and we kind of tolerate the story just to get through the season. And I really don't want that to happen at Follow in 2017 or in any year for that matter. Um, And so in order to help you this year, we really want to take you back in time throughout this series to a a different place in a different era, uh, all the way back to around about 4 BC, as we reflect on what happened in that first story, as we try to imagine what it would have been like to be one of the characters who were involved in that very first Christmas. And so I hope this year you'll be able to do that. And so I want to ask you a question in In fact, it's the name of our series this year. And the question is, what if you were part of the world's greatest story? How would you have felt if you were one of those main characters? What emotions would you have experienced? Would you respond in fear or would you have responded with faith? Would you be willing to step out or would you shrink back? Would you have responded with despair or would your reaction be one of sheer joy or maybe a mixture of both? How would you feel? And most importantly, how would you respond if God came to you with news such as this? These are some of the questions I'd love us to consider throughout this series. And hopefully as we do that, we can immerse ourselves in the lives of these people. But more importantly, we pray that God would fill us all with a fresh sense of awe this Christmas as we reflect on the first Christmas, the birth of Christ, and all the miraculous supernatural things God has done in and through Christ. Last week, Dave started our series by looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Who was here last week? It was a really good message to get us started. And we tried to imagine last week how Zechariah and Elizabeth would have felt. We discovered that their lives were turned inside out and upside down at the announcement of the angel that they would have a son. Everything changed for them in an instant. And I thought um, Leanne and Dave did a great job of trying to present to us some of the emotions they would have felt in that moment when their life changed instantly. Now, I've told this story before, but we had a similar experience in our own life a number of years ago. We have four children, as most of you are aware, and we started with three daughters. And in our minds, we were going to have three children. And so we had reached our quota and we'd kind of checked out of the kid zone and we were starting to think about retirement. Not quite, but we were thinking about it in the future. And we were starting to settle into life with three daughters and we'd come to the conclusion that God wanted us to have three girls. But who knows that God has different plans to what we sometimes think he has. Yep, Uh, three of us think that. Um, I've found that in my life that God often has different plans to what I imagined they would be. And so we started to believe through prayer that maybe God wanted us to have another child. And so over time, it took a couple of years, but Kim and I, with a lot of practice, eventually became pregnant. Too much information, I know. And uh, we came pregnant with our fourth child, which was a really great blessing. And as we shared the news with everybody, um, the common question we had, or the common statement is, Luke, I bet you want a boy. Everyone said it, I bet you want a boy. And I used to say, you know, just as long as the baby's healthy. You know, that's the main thing, as long as the baby's healthy. And I tried to convince them that was true. Um, And so we decided to find out whether we're having a boy or a girl. 
And so just to break the news to everyone and, and stop that question. And so we went along, we booked a, a doctor's appointment and we went in for an ultrasound. And I remember Kim laying there and the ultrasound and the gel on her stomach and uh, we're looking inside at this little baby. And I'll never forget the moment there was the great announcement where the doctor said, baby is a boy. And I was standing, sitting behind Kim and the doctor and I went, yes. And they turned around straight away and looked at me. And I said, that came out loud, didn't it? And they said, yes, it did. <laughs> Maybe I wanted a boy more than I thought. But I remember that moment is the moment, that announcement actually changed everything in our house. Out with all the dolls and in with the dinosaurs. <laughs> Out with the pink once and for all and in with the blue. Out with enduring dance concerts and in with enjoying footy with my son. Let me just clarify, dance concerts are great for the three minutes that you watch your daughters dance. <laughs> for the other two hours you watch everyone else's daughters, that's a definition of torture. You know what I'm talking about, dance concerts, presentation nights, a moment of pride for hours of pain. And that's what it was like. But I remember that announcement in our life was a big moment in our family history. It changed everything uh, in our lives. But I imagine for Elizabeth and Zechariah, the announcement for them that they were having a son would have been much bigger than the announcement for us. You see, these were an older couple. The Bible says they were old or advanced in years. And we don't know exactly how old they were, but the last time Scripture talks about someone being old or advanced in years, it's Abraham and Sarah, and we know they were about 100. So what we do know is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. And not only were they old, but Elizabeth was barren. And so they would have spent decades of their life coming to the understanding and the acceptance that they weren't going to have children. Now, that's common in our society today. Many people choose not to have kids. A lot of people, um, sadly, can't have children. And it's widely accepted in our culture, but in their culture, it was very different. Many people would look at their lives assuming that they had no kids, and they had no kids assuming that they'd done something wrong. And so for them, it would have been a very incredibly painful situation in their life. They had no hope of kids until one moment when the angel appeared to them, to Zechariah, and in an instant at the announcement they would have a son, like with our ultrasound, everything changed. Their lives would be turned upside down and inside out by this development in their lives because their son, that the text tells us, wouldn't just be a regular son, but he would be great in the eyes of the Lord. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. And he'd, become to, he'd come to be known as John the Baptist, a man that Jesus himself said that is perhaps the greatest man that ever lived aside from Christ himself. He was the one person who the prophet Isaiah had spoken of, that he would be a messenger and his job would be to come and to prepare the way for the Messiah that they had been waiting centuries for. Their son would be one of the key figures in the world's greatest story. So can you imagine today, if you were them, how your lives would have changed? Imagine how they felt from being looked down upon as a childless, a barren childless couple, to now being looked up to as people looked at their son and said, wow, that's your son. It would be a complete change in their lives. And so try and immerse yourself in their story and then do that again this morning as we go to a new story because their experience would have been so huge that only an incredible miracle could have superseded it. And that's what we're reading about in the text today when we look at the life of Mary. 
the angel Gabriel this time appeared again, not to an old barren couple, but to a young virgin named Mary, pledged to be married to a man called Joseph, who was in the line of King David, which is a really important point, because the prophecy said that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And so let me paint a picture for you today about who Mary was. In Jewish law, the legal age to get married was 13 years for a boy and 12 years for a girl. Now, I know what some of you parents are thinking. You're doing the maths in your head and you're thinking, how much money could we save if our kids left home at 12 years of age? And the answer to that question is a heck of a lot. You can save a heck of a lot. But you're probably thinking about something else, and that is, um, would my kids be ready to raise a child at the age of 12. I don't think that's a fair thing to consider as well. Our youngest daughter, Annika, was up on the platform a few moments ago singing, and she's 12 years of age. And she's a beautiful girl. She's our little princess, and we love her to bits. But to be honest, we have trouble getting Annika to do some pretty basic things. For example, schoolwork, cleaning her room, and we find it hard to convince her that she needs a shower every second day. And so one thing is for sure, as amazing as Annika is, we don't feel that she's ready to raise a child, especially since she's not allowed to date till she's 30. And so we would be worried about Adele, yeah, Sanjee's aiming aiming as well, and uh, one daughter's there just going, oh no, Dad, that's embarrassing. But she's not ready to raise a child. She's nowhere near mature enough for it. We have another daughter, we have two other daughters, but we have a middle daughter called Taylor, and she's 16. And so most scholars believe that the maximum age Mary would have been would have been about 15 years of age. And so uh, Taylor's about a year older than what Mary would have been. And Taylor, if you don't know who she is, she usually sits in the second row. And about this time in the sermon, she goes really red in the face. So if you don't know who she is, next time you'll know. She hates that so much that this week she decided to have four wisdom teeth taken out so that she could avoid that moment. And so she's at home today. Um, When she gets back, don't ask her any questions because she's no longer wise enough to answer. But... That's a really bad dad joke. But she had her wisdom teeth out this week. And Taylor is really mature for her age. She's quite developed. She understands life pretty well. She's beautiful and sweet and caring. But she's also not ready to raise a child at 16 years of age. She's just got her learner's permit. So once again, I'm finding that, that handle in the passenger seat. You know that handle? You don't know what it's for until you have a kid who has their learners. And then you realize you hold on tight and you pray with that special handle. Is there, all the parents are nodding their heads. And that's what it's for. But she still gets stressed about homework. Uh, she's going into VCE next year. And there's no way that she's ready to raise a child. And she also can't date till she's 30. So that would be difficult anyway. But the point is this, that the announcement of the angel would have been massive for Mary, despite what was normal in her culture. And so Gabriel announces to her that she will conceive a child supernaturally when the Holy Spirit comes upon her. And she'll give birth to a son who will be the Messiah, which means the saviour or deliverer of God's people. Now, how do we know that's the announcement? Well, we see it in the angel's words in verse 32. He says, your son will be great and he will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, that's an announcement. Can you imagine 
If an angel came to you, and not only would you become supernaturally pregnant, not only were you going to be the young mother of a son, but this son would be the saviour of the world, the promised Messiah, I reckon that would blow your mind. And I reckon it would blow your mind if you're a fully developed adult, let alone a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old young lady. And so let's ask Mary herself this morning what emotions she would have been going through. I'm going to invite Mary out now. I don't know what you've heard about me so far, but I'm worried people are going to start rumours. I just, I just need to be honest with you all. I'm pregnant. I'm not married. <laughs> and I've never slept with a man. <sighs> I don't really understand it. It feels insane, but it's true. I'm pregnant. I'm just an ordinary girl. Nothing special, I live with my parents, I sleep, I eat, I work, but I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> I've lost my spot. <laughs> I'm engaged to a man named Joseph, and he's pretty sweet. But last week, something extraordinary happened to me. An angel came to me and told me I was going to have a baby, but not any baby, the son of God. I know you probably don't believe me, and why would you? Just a crazy story to cover up an affair I've been having. Right? Well, how am I going to tell Joseph? He's going he's gonna to think I've been cheating and he won't believe me and he'll leave me and people are going to think terrible things about me. How am I going to raise a kid? I'm just a kid myself. Okay, stop. Pull yourself together, Mary. I won't be alone in this. God chose me for this. He's my strength. I'm his servant. And my baby is going to be a blessing to the entire world. He's going to be our saviour. I just hope God gives Joseph the heads up. Thank you, Mary. It's great to have her here. When, she, when I asked her to do that, she said she would be terrified. And I said, good, that's exactly how Mary would have felt. So you'll be very lifelike. And plus, your name is Mary. So it's a word from God that you've got to do it. So... That was enough to convince her. So. But she did a great job. I think Mary did a great job of giving us a glimpse of how Mary would have been feeling. But I think the text, as we look at it, also highlights what her emotions would have been. If you look at verse 28, for example, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. But in verse 29, we see the anxiety she felt. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his word. She was worried. She was concerned. She was afraid and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She was curious, what is the angel going to say to me? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. But in verse 34, we see a confusion. How will this all be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, how will this be possible? I think as we look at the text, Mary had all the normal kind of emotions that each of us may expect to experience if we heard an announcement such as that. And I think from the text and also from Mary's skit, we're able to use God's word 
and a little bit of our imagination to immerse ourselves in how Mary felt. And I think that's really important to do. As we're reading through the Bible, it's so important that we try and immerse ourselves in the characters to try and understand why they responded the way they responded and how they acted the way they acted. And I think sometimes we can kind of skim over stories, but as we immerse ourselves into the lives of these people, it helps give us a deeper understanding of what they were going through. And so today we're sort of focused on Mary's feelings, and that's important to do. But I think sometimes we focus too much on our own feelings in circumstances that we face. And I want to look not just at her feelings, but more importantly today, I want to focus on her response. And there's two things in her response that are really important for us to consider when we encounter the promises of God in our own lives. And the first thing about Mary is that Mary very clearly humbled herself. I think that's important to note the way that she humbles herself in the text because ever since she humbled herself in this story, generations of religious people have been exalting her ever since. Now, don't get me wrong, as Christians, we see Mary as a righteous woman, a woman to be respected, a woman as a great example to us in many ways. She was incredibly obedient, mature for her age, extraordinary in many ways. But in other ways, she was just a regular person like you and me. In other words, Mary, as we look at her today, she's worthy of our admiration, but she is in no way worthy of our worship. That is the place only God should take in our lives. And yet there are many people, particularly in the Catholic tradition, who still today pray to Mary. They believe that Mary was perfect. They believe that she never died, but instead ascended to heaven, none of which is biblical. In fact, historians say that she died in the year 41 AD, about 11 years after Jesus died. And yet there are many people throughout history who have elevated Mary to a place and a position that she didn't even see herself worthy of occupying. I think I noticed this really starkly when I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago. We were in Nazareth, which you'll notice in verse 26 is located in Galilee. And it's the place where the angel appeared to Mary to announce that she was to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And on the tour, we went to the place where they believed Mary lived. And it's up on the screen today. This is the house that they believed that Mary lived in at this time in Nazareth. And it was really quite um, interesting and fascinating. I just stood in front of that for so long, just trying to picture Mary living there and what life would have been like for her. And this is, uh, every chance, this is the place where the angel actually appeared to her in this text that we're reading today. And as you'll look at the screen, you'll see it's a very humble little house. In fact, we would call it a cave. There's nothing fancy about it. In fact, most of you would decline the invite to live there if you were invited to live in a place such as that. And it really blew my mind as I stood there uh, looking at that place that God sent Gabriel to announce, the impending uh, to announce the impending birth of the person we know as Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every other name, the person that one day every knee will bow before and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we look at that cage and we think, why would God make an announcement uh, in a cave like that? I think if we were going to make an announcement that big, the way we'd do it is we'd hire some fancy place, wouldn't we? We'd go and we'd talk to some important people and we'd make a really big deal of it. And we may expect that God would make this royal announcement in a similar way, that he'd go to a princess somewhere in a castle so that they could prepare the very best for the saviour of the universe. But it's not what I saw in front of me. And it was hard to reconcile the way that I would do it and the way God did it. And I think it's worth meditating on today because I think it says something about God. That he sends an angel 
to a dark, dingy cave in Nazareth, a place where people in their day said nothing good could come from that place. And he appears to a teenage girl who nobody knows, and he declares that it's you, Mary, who I have chosen to be a part of the greatest story ever told. Now, in ancient and in modern times, in order to communicate places that people considered to be holy, um, particularly in the Middle East, they, what they do is they often build a church in that spot to commemorate what they had found. The church where Mary's house is located is known as the Church of Annunciation. And architecturally, it's a beautiful building. It's multi-story, there's pipe organs, there's mass on every level, um, there's stained glass windows, there's a magnificent ceiling that you'll see in, in one of the pictures. And it's one of those places you walk into and straight away you're just struck by it. And you kind of go, wow, this, this is an amazing place. And yet the centrepiece of that building is this humble, dark, dusty cave that Mary lived in. And it's now immersed in this intricate, expensive, glamorous building surrounded outside its walls by impoverished streets. And it's kind of confronting. And as beautiful as that church building is, for me, it kind of spoils it. And I think perhaps the architects and the builders missed something about the nature of God. Our tour guide was telling us that the Pope visited soon after it was built, and I was quite impressed with what he said um, they had built it out of stone, and their plan was to fill every single surface with the most expensive marble they could find. But the Pope, when he visited, said, no, we're not going to do that. And the reason we're not going to do that is it won't accurately represent uh, the kind of humility that Mary had when she was born. And I think that was a really good decision to make, because Mary was a nobody in a nowhere town with nothing to offer, and yet God chose her. And I think that says something about God, that he can take anybody anywhere and he can do anything because he's God. And that should be a great encouragement for all of us today, that God, when you look at scripture, he doesn't choose superstars. He's not looking for people who have to be perfect or who've made it in life. God looks for people who are humble. And God can choose you and God can choose me to work his promises in and through our lives. And so God works even in the humblest of people, and his promises can be realised even through people like you and me. God doesn't need a fancy building. He doesn't need that big church. What he's looking for is a humble servant. And I think Mary is a great example for us in that regard. It's something that we can learn from her. If you look at verse 37, after all the emotions of the big announcement, she responds with a declaration of humble dependence on God. She says, For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then she repeats that sentiment in verse 47. She says, My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so she acknowledges that she is nothing special, but she's just a humble servant chosen graciously by God to be part of this incredible story. And so she starts by humbling herself, but I think it takes us well into the second part, or the second thing we can learn from her, because she not only humbles herself, but she also exalts God. I think it's important that we are people that humble ourselves and lift up Jesus for everybody to see. One thing I've noticed throughout the years when God calls people into his mission 
when he activates promises in God's life, we often see um, people make the right response, but we also see pretty poor responses at both ends of the spectrum. And the first response I've seen is that some people respond to God's calling and God's gifting with an arrogant pride. And so God calls us and he gifts us in certain ways. And we can easily fall for the trap of thinking, well, aren't I good? I must be special and I'm gifted and I can do this all myself. God took one look at me and he had no choice but to use me because I'm amazing. And that's often how people respond to God's calling. I can do all things through Luke who gives me strength. And we can be arrogant and we can be prideful in the gifts that God has given us. And we exalt ourselves rather than exalting God. And yet scripture many times talks about God exalting the humble, but humbling the proud. And so when we exalt God, God exalts us into a position where he can use us for his glory. And that's, that's his job. But when we take his job and we exalt ourselves, then God has no choice but to take our job and he humbles us. And let me tell you, when God humbles us, it's never pretty. And so we'd be much better exalting God and he'll exalt us and use us in incredible ways rather than exalting ourselves and allow God to humble us. And so God exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. And so some people respond with an arrogant pride. But there's people on the very other end of the spectrum and they respond in a very different way. They respond with doubt and fear. And so maybe when I was talking about the arrogant pride, you can see a little bit of that in you. But maybe, probably more likely today, you can see the second one, that when God calls you to step into his mission, your response is one of doubt and fear. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. It's too hard. It won't work. God could never use me. I'm hopeless. I'm no good. I've made too many mistakes. I could never be used by God. There's people out there that are much better than me. They're much more gifted than me. They're much more credentialed than me. And, you know, God would be better off using them. In fact, he's going to have to because I can't do this. And maybe that's you, that you respond. When God calls you into these places to serve him, you respond with doubt and fear. And so we've got these two ends of the spectrum. We've got arrogant pride at one end and we've got doubt and fear at the other. And then we find Mary who finds herself right in the middle. And I think it's the place where God wants us to be. It's not prideful arrogance. It's not fearful doubt, but it's humble confidence in a supernatural God who can do all things even through us. Let me say that again. It's not prideful arrogance. It's not fearful doubt, but it's humble confidence in a supernatural God who can do all things even through us. And this is Mary's response. She says, may your word be fulfilled through me. In verses 46 to 55, we read what is titled Mary's Song, and it's known as the Magnificat, which basically means glorifies. Mary sings out praise to God, and she glorifies his name in the midst of her emotions, despite her doubts and fears and circumstances. Now, one thing I found interesting as I was looking at it again this week is what happened in the previous story with Zechariah. When the angel uh, appeared to Zechariah the priest, a man who was meant to be a mature man of God, his response was one of doubt and fear. He shrunk back from his calling and he asked God for another sign to prove that this could actually happen. And I don't know if you remember the story, but the angel did something to him. What did he do? He struck him mute. He struck him so that he could not tell anyone about the story and he could not declare the praises of God. 
He said in verse 20, Gabriel said, Now you'll be unable to speak until the day John is born. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And you know what? I was thinking about that this week. And I think it's very much the same with us. When we shrink back from our mission, when we doubt the call of God and the promises of God in our lives through Scripture, sometimes we become paralysed and we lose the ability to praise him and to declare his name. But not for Mary, this 12 to 15-year-old girl, she responds with faith and with praise. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on. Generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, even to ours. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary had an incredibly important role in the world's greatest story. Her role was to carry and to bring forth the Messiah. And in the midst of her doubts and fears, she humbly and she confidently trusted in God, stepping up into the mission God had given her. May I propose today, in conclusion, that our part in the world's greatest story is almost identical to Mary's. We are also called to carry Jesus, to bring forth the Messiah. It's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so we're called to do what Mary did, not by giving birth to him physically, but by sharing the good news so that others can come to new birth in him. Our role in the world's greatest story is to lift up the name of Jesus, to bring him glory with our lives. And I guess the question is for us today, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christ, will we shrink back like Zechariah and lose our voice? Or will we step up like Mary and declare the praises of God to embrace our mission to make Jesus known. Jesus wasn't just born like we remember at Christmas, but he lived a perfect life. He died for every single sinner who would call on his name. He rose again from the death and church, he's coming back. That's the good news this Christmas time. That's what we have to share with people. And you know, when you start a church plant, you know, I think it's very easy to start out really missional and to be really passionate about sharing the good news But I sense that it's easy to kind of settle into the comfort zone where church is established now and we come and we go through the emotions. But I want to challenge you this Christmas time that you have the greatest news ever, that Jesus wasn't just born, but he died, he rose again, and he's coming back. And people need to hear that news. Our mission is to carry forth the good news of Jesus, to proclaim the name of Jesus over this region and in the lives of people that desperately need to know about him. Where there's darkness, our job is to be the light of the world as we carry Christ to the world who needs him. And so can I encourage you this Christmas to challenge yourself about being deliberate with the conversations you have with people this week. Are there friends and family that you can have coffee with? Are there workmates that you can share about Jesus this Christmas? Are there people you can invite to our Christmas services so that they would hear the good news? I want to challenge you to step up into the calling that God has
on your life. I pray this Christmas as we submit ourselves in humble dependence and confidence in God, that we would respond as Mary did, seizing every opportunity, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news and declare the name of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Church, that's our calling. That's our purpose. That's our vision. That's why Follow Baptist Church exists. So may we be a city on a hill. May we be a light to the world this Christmas time. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word to us today. And we thank you for people like Mary, who are not to be worshipped, but they are to be admired. And Lord, as we look at characters like her, there's so much we can learn. And Lord, I pray that as we look at her life, that we would remember that part of our job is to humble ourselves, to acknowledge who we are and to acknowledge who you are. And as we acknowledge who you are, we exalt your name. And so, Lord, this Christmas time, as we remember again a story that we should never take for granted, but we should be so grateful for, that we would be willing and able, like Mary was, to say that here we are, we're your servant. Would you use us this Christmas time to declare the good news? And will we see people come to know him this Christmas time? Because that's the greatest gift we could ever see at Christmas. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.